12 tonight, John chapter 12. I hope you enjoyed that um, uh, discussion panel on the Laodicean church, and may we uh, learn things that will help us to uh, be more effective in our life, our testimony uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ because of our time that we spend studying together. Tonight, I want to look at a message entitled, Now is the Judgment, and, and John chapter 12. We're going to begin reading in verse 12, and we'll read down to verse 36 of John chapter 12. <clears throat> John 12 and 12 says, On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it, was, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, thy king cometh, sitting on an ass's colt. Uh, these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they that these things were written of him, and that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. For this cause, the people also met him, for that they heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye prevailed nothing? Behold, the world is gone after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And some came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this world. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by and heard it said that, the, it, that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. And Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying of what, de what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever. And how sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is the Son of Man? And then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while ye have the light, 
lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. And while ye have the light, believe in the light, that ye may be the children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself from them. Let's pray. My Father, I'm thankful to be able to have the Word of God before me again this evening. As we're able to study it together as a body of believers, uh, whether it be here in the church building or whether it be via uh, live stream, Lord, uh, we're thankful that the Word of God is precious. And Lord, we can uh, uh, glean truths out of it that will help us in our Christian life. I pray, Lord, we might uh, be able to see um, the uh, truths about Christ that will cause us to turn our life over to him. There may be someone here, there might be someone watching that is not saved and they need to be born again. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would touch their hearts, Lord, and bring great conviction upon them as we consider that the judgment is ready and it's now. And Lord, I pray that for every believer that we might be convicted and stirred and have a spirit of revival in our hearts. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Our text verses, verse 31 and 32, Jesus said that now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now is the judgment. We know, reading from the passage here, that Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem. And what we often celebrate as Palm Sunday, and he came into the city of Jerusalem, the crowds have witnessed the fulfillment of Scripture before their eyes as he would ride on the back of a donkey. The streets are full of shouts of excitement and certainly... In verse 20, we read how the Greeks are coming over, had come to worship at the feast, and they're desiring to see Jesus Christ. They speak to Philip and long for him to bring them, them over to Christ. And uh, several things here, just as introductory thoughts, we see Jesus Christ, the glorification of Christ. In verse 23, it says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come, and the Son of Man should be glorified. And we know Christ is about ready to go to the cross. He's about ready to offer himself as that eternal sacrifice for the sins of mankind. But he's going to be glorified in that the demands of a holy God will be satisfied as he offers himself. So we see the glorification of Jesus Christ uh, in this passage. We see the propitiation of Christ. Propitiation means appeasement. Notice in verse 24... He says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. And so uh, um, the uh, spiritual reproduction, if you will, of people is faith in Christ, sacrifice that he offers. He died for man so that man can be saved. And so the propitiation of Christ is that sacrifice he offered satisfies his father in heaven and so the glorification the propitiation verse 25 and 26 we see the salvation that is offered to man verse 25 says he that loveth his life shall lose it and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal if any man serve me let him follow me and I, where i am there shall also my servant be 
if any man serve me, him will my father honor. And so the salvation that we experience through Christ's propitiation is a salvation that is based on the fact that our relationship with Christ is far more important than our relationship in the world. Oftentimes people will not get saved because they just know that if they get saved, their life is going to change. And if their life changes, they're not going to be happy with their life in this life because they're so consumed with the things of this world. And uh, I, I'll tell you, our lives in this world is a great hinderer to us coming to faith in Christ. And so we see the glorification, the propitiation of salvation. And then verse 27 and 28, we see the magnification of Christ. In verse 27, it says, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I into this, into this, hour, uh, came un, unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. The magnification of God is uh, experienced in Christ surrendering his, his life and his will to the Father in heaven. The interesting thing is this that there is never any time when the Father and the Son were out of sync or out of harmony with what was going to take place. It was the will of the Father in heaven that His Son be sacrificed as the only means of a pure, holy, sanctified sacrifice. And Jesus Christ was in complete agreement to offer Himself on that cross. He said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down and I take it up again. And so the magnification of the Father in heaven because of the fact that the Son is in total agreement with what is going to take place. So we see glorification, propitiation, salvation, magnification, and then in verse 28 and 29 we see the confirmation. In verse 28 it says, Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. You know, it's always interesting that two people can hear the same thing and come up with a different conclusion. You know, it's just so, uh, <laughs> it's always been interesting preaching over the years because different people be in the, in the sanctuary, hear the message, and they leave, and they may be upset about something, and they'll call and talk to me about it. And I'm like, where in the world did you get that? I didn't say that, you know. <laughs> and then uh, you have other people to leave, and they're just so thrilled and so excited about what God is speaking to their hearts about through the preaching and the word. And then there's others that are just don't get anything at all out of it. And I, I, it's amazing to me because I can't understand it. I, years ago, I just made up my mind I was going to stop trying to understand it. I'm just going to respond to the confirmation of God speaking to us. He speaks to us in a still, small voice, and we need to be listening to the Lord in our discussion panel. That's the way we ended. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And so we need to be listening for the confirmation of God. As the preaching of the Word of God goes out, the Spirit of God will take His Word and minister it to your hearts. And it's the Spirit of God that will speak to you and confirm all that is being said. And so in this passage, all this is going on as Christ prepares to go to the cross of Calvary. And then that takes us to our text verse. He says in verse 31, now is the judgment of this world. And 
it almost seems like that verse is, is, comes out of nowhere. He's talking about dying. He's talking about sacrificing himself. He's talking about scripture being fulfilled. Uh, he's talking about the glorification of himself and the magnification of the Father in heaven. And then right in the midst of all that, he says, now is the judgment of this world. And he continues to say that now is shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Understanding, we often quote verse 32, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto myself. We often mention that verse, but let's keep it in the context. It's in reference to the judgment of God coming on this world at that moment. Now is the judgment. So let's look at this. Three thoughts here. First of all, we see the severity of the judgment. Because he says in verse 31, now is the judgment come on this world. And uh, so here is the judgment of this world. And it's the severity. In Romans chapter 3 and verse 19, let me read this verse for you. It says, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law. That every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. And so the, uh, the judgment of the world, this world now, is that the whole world is positioned as guilty. And the world is, is guilty before God. And I thought about that, that first of all, if it's positioned as guilty, that means all men are guilty. If someone is going to be saved, they have to acknowledge that they're guilty before God. The sins of Adam passed upon the whole human race. Uh, there's not one person that has been left out of that chain of, of, uh, uh, of uh, DNA of sin that is passed down from Adam and Eve. And uh, because of that, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And so all men uh, are guilty before God. And so that's why man must hear the gospel, a man must respond to the gospel and be born again. As we mentioned this morning, that every one of us knows somebody who's not saved. And because of the fact that they are not saved, that puts them in the position of being guilty before God. And so all men, women, boys and girls are guilty before the Lord. And we have to acknowledge that because of the fact that we like to try to give some leeway. Oh, well, maybe they'll be okay. I remember years ago, my mother, we were talking about some things, and, and she told me, she said, Michael, don't you think that Mother Teresa and all that she did and uh, how nice of a woman she was, that do you th don't you think she might have gone to heaven? And so I told my mom, I said, well, let's just talk about what it means to be saved and how do you go to heaven? How do you go to heaven? And you, if you stop and you start thinking about it, it's not all of our good works. The, the, the reality is we go to heaven because of the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I said, there's a multitudes of people that are nice people that do great things and nice things for people and sacrifice maybe their whole life for people, but that's not what gets us to heaven. Why? Because every individual is guilty before God. 
And so when Jesus comes in to present himself as the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world, he says, now the severity of the judgment is that the judgment of God comes on this whole world. And even though it is difficulty to, difficult for us to acknowledge that, we must be sincere and honest about what the Scripture says. Jesus came to die for all men. All nations are condemned. They are, all nations are positioned as guilty before God. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 31. Jesus said this, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And so all nations are guilty before the Lord. And uh, I think sometimes we try to, in America, excuse ourselves. We try to uh, disregard our guilt before God. But in the goodness of America and all that we have been able to try to do in helping other people and all this, that, and the other, America is not righteous before God. America is guilty before God, just like all of the other nations are guilty before God. And I think that's one of the reasons why we don't see in Revelation or in Bible prophecy America mentioned at all, because we are guilty. And not only are all men in all nations, but the living and dead, according to 2 Timothy chapter 4, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing of his kingdom. And then he says, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. And so the severity of Jesus' statement that now is judgment, is the judgment of this world, uh, acknowledges the fact that all men in all nations, living and dead, are guilty before God. And then I put down small and great because in Revelation chapter 20 tells us about those that will be judged, those that will be brought before the great white throne judgment. In uh, Revelation chapter 20 in verse 12, it says, And I saw the dead small and great. So it doesn't matter whether you're wealthy. It doesn't matter whether you're a politician. It doesn't matter whether you're a king. It doesn't matter whether you're a slave. It doesn't matter whether you're a common worker. And it says, And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And so the severity of judgment is that judgment positions everyone in the same position as being in a position of guilt. And then I just, I put down this by an open book. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and of course chapter 20 of Revelation deals with the unsaved at the great white throne judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 13 deals with the Christian at the judgment seat of Christ. And uh, as soon as I get there, I'll read it. You probably got there already. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in uh, verse 13, tells us, And every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. 
And so the severity of judgment is the severity of judgment is on this earth now. And so we have to face the judgment of God. Where if we're saved, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we've done in our bodies, what we've done in living our life for the Lord or haven't done for the Lord. And in Revelation chapter 20, the unsaved will stand before God and have to give an account of their life also. Uh, and, uh, um, and so the severity of the judgment is, it is on this world and the whole world is under the judgment of God. So Jesus is now is the judgment of this world. So the severity of judgment. Number two, he says in verse 31, now shall the prince of this world be cast out. So I not only see the severity of judgment, but I see the severance of Satan. The prince shall be cast out. And uh, the devil is really having a heyday. He acts like he is winning, but he's losing. And uh, he has already lost the battle. He has been defeated by Christ when Jesus died on the cross and was buried and rose again. He defeated the power of Satan. The severance of Satan is that he is rendered powerless. If he is rendered powerless, then why does he have such influence and control and manipulation over believers in Christ? Uh, listen, if we submit ourselves to God, uh, the devil has to flee from us. Uh, we, we plead the blood of Jesus Christ and the devil has to flee from us. And so rendering him powerless because Jesus died on the cross. First of all, consider the character of Satan displayed throughout the scriptures. His character displayed is one of subtlety. He's very subtle. It says in Genesis 3.1 that he was more subtle than any of the creatures that were in the garden. Uh, he, listen, the devil knows how to come in in a sly way in your life. He doesn't come in and tell you to be this wicked person and this vile person. He comes in and he says, oh, well, you don't really need to go to church. Every service. And next thing you know, people are out of church. They're not in church. Next thing you know, they're not just missing one service once in a while. They're missing a service every week. They're missing out on church. Well, you don't, you know, you really don't have to. I remember years ago when they came out, I don't know if they still have it or not, but anyway, I remember years ago they came out with a non-alcoholic beer. I don't know if they still have it, but anyway, I remember it was, that was a controversial thing among Christians when that came out. And because of the fact that Christians were like, well, it's not alcohol, so I can drink it. I just like the taste of the beer. No, you're supposed to abstain from all appearance of evil. And it's, listen, it's only one step from non-alcoholic beer to alcoholic beer. And the devil doesn't come and, and bombard you with alcoholism. He comes in slipping just a little bit. Well, it's all right to have a glass of wine once in a while with my meal. No, it's not. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The subtlety of Satan. And he does it with churches. Churches will, you know, all of a sudden they'll say, well, you know, I'm going to tell you, you want to talk about a challenge in ministry, the challenge is to find good Christian music. And uh, because most of, I should say, probably 90% of the Christian music that is being published nowadays is nothing more than rock and roll and uh, uh, all this other type of stuff. I don't know what it is. I didn't plan on preaching on that, but it sounds good. Amen. 
Now, uh, churches let all of a sudden let down in this area. They just kind of let some things in. And, and listen, I see preachers that, that used to be good, strong, fundamental preachers, and I see them standing in their pulpits wearing shorts and flip-flops. I mean, what is that? You can't dress up and act decent when you go into the house of God? I mean, you know, I, I just, it, I don't understand how you will ignore the subtlety of Satan. And so he doesn't come in and just corrupt everything. He comes in and just, well, we can just do that. Well, this isn't a big thing, so once you can do that. That's what he came along with Adam and Eve. When he came to Eve, he just, in a subtle way, said, Whoa, you mean you can't eat of everything? Uh, you know, God doesn't want you to do that because he knows you'll become gods. Well, this will be an spiritual experience for you. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, then we're defiled and we're defeated. That's the character of Satan. His character is, is he is subtle. He is deceitful. In other words, everything that he has to say always has some type of slant to it. Uh, it's always false. It's always corrupt. And it's always for the purpose of getting the believer and to move away from their God and getting the unsaved in a position where they refuse to acknowledge God. And marvel, and there's no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He is a mastermind of deceit. And so watch out for the devil. He's already defeated. If he's already defeated, then why are we going to allow him to, to deceive us? And that's why faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. You need to know what the Bible has to say to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Uh, he is powerful, his, but his power has been limited uh, by the power of Christ working in us. In Ephesians chapter 2, in uh, verse 2, uh, he, he might be powerful, but he's not all-powerful. says in uh, chapter 2 of Ephesians, verse 2, it says, "...where in time past you walked according to the course of this world." According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And so the prince of the power of the air. He Listen, he is the God of this world. He is the one who comes along to try to deceive and overwhelm you and overcome you with his own strength and his own power. And so the character, realize the character of your enemy that is fighting against you. And then he is fierce. He's fierce because he goes about as a roaring, roaring lion, sinking whom he may devour. And uh, this is a spiritual battle. Your life is a spiritual battle every day. Every church service is a spiritual battle. Uh, it, it's, it's amazing to see what goes on and, and deal with this whole thing of trying to preach and try to reveal the word of God and just sensing the power of Satan, the opposition of Satan uh, to hinder the word of God going out. And so he may be fierce, but remember, he is powerless. He has been defeated by Christ because Christ said, Now is the judge of this world, judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And so he has already been rendered powerless in despair in spite of his character traits. So I see his character displayed. I see his conflict described. He always perverts the scriptures. 
And uh, listen, you be ready with scripture. When somebody quotes something to you, you better have a King James Bible and look up the verse and make sure you know what they're saying. The devil always perverts and twists the scriptures to mean something other than what they are presenting. He's always hindering the gospel. He is the, the God of this world that blinds the eyes of unbelievers lest they should see the gospel of Christ. So you need to be the light of the world. You need to illuminate people's hearts so that they might know what the gospel is. And he always opposes God's work. Uh, whatever you do, whatever you try to do uh, in ministry or in your life of ministry, uh, I'll guarantee you the devil will come along and oppose what it is that God's laid on your heart. I, ever since I've been saved, I thought God called me to preach. Uh, every, listen, everything that I've ever done for the Lord or tried to do with the, for the Lord has always been met with opposition. Everything. And uh, why? Because that's how the devil works. But wait a minute. He does not have to defeat you in that because of the fact that he has already been rendered powerless. And so his conflict described. He works lying wonders. Uh, that's why you need to make sure that whatever is going on or whatever you're believing, whatever you're experiencing, lines up with the word of God. Uh, I've had people over the years say, well, I just really feel the Lord wants me to do this. Well, do you understand what you're doing is violating scripture? Yes, but I just really feel this in my heart and God revealed this to me. Did God reveal it to you or did the devil reveal it to you? Because the devil can reveal things to you. He has lying wonders. Oh, well, I prayed about this and this took place. Yes, well, what you're doing, what took place is not scriptural. And see, we're, we're not willing to render the devil powerless because we're not willing to acknowledge his craftiness and how he designs his opposition uh, to what God wants to do in our life. So his character displayed, his conflict described, and then his conquest defeated. His conquest is defeated because Jesus refused his temptations. You read in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is led of the Spirit into the wilderness and for 40 days as he fasted and for 40 days Satan tempted him for 40 days Satan was con constantly trying to get him to turn away from the will of his father but Jesus defeated the temptations of Satan and if that is the case then hallelujah you and I can overcome whatever temptation the Lord brings in our life the addictions that we have uh, the distresses that we have, the emotional uh, distraught that we have, all these things can be overcome because of the fact that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so Jesus refused his temptations. Jesus cast out the demons. You know, it, it, I mentioned it this morning with the a maniac of Gadara. Jesus cast out the demons of the maniac. Uh, the man's son who was demon-possessed, Jesus cast the demon out of him. And Jesus can cast out the demons in your life. And certainly he cast out the Satan and his angels out of heaven in uh, Isaiah chapter 14. And uh, when he cast them out, uh, listen, they were rendered powerless because they're under his control. They can't do anything that Christ will not allow them to do. When he accused, the devil accused Job. 
God told him, you can uh, take everything that he has, but you can't touch him. And so the devil is limited. He's rendered powerless uh, because Christ is in the business of casting out demons. You know, Jesus empowered his disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, in verse 1, he gave them power to stand against unclean spirits. I'm trying to remember what the verse says, and I forgot it completely. So I'll look it up here real quick. Matthew chapter 10, in verse 1, Jesus gave them power. He says, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all matter of sickness and all matter of disease. And so I'm thankful that the character, the conquest of Satan is defeated because Jesus gave his disciples that power and you and I have that same power to stand against the wiles of the devil. And so his conquest is defeated. Jesus died in triumph. When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die defeated. He died victorious. And uh, sometimes we people have a, have a tendency to act like, uh, oh, poor Jesus was crucified and the man did all this to him, the devil. No, no, he laid down his life willingly and he laid down his life and died on the cross in victory, not in defeat. And so Satan is rendered powerless. Amen. Why? Because now is the judgment of this world. And now shall the prince of this world be cast out. You need to cast him out. I, I know years ago I shared the story. Dr. Malone was saying he was driving somewhere to preach. And the devil was just hounding him, telling him it wasn't going to be effective. And he was a lousy preacher. And I mean, just working him over. I, I mean, I know how that is. I deal with those things all the time. And he was driving down the road. And he said he got so depressed and so discouraged. He said he had enough of it. He pulled his car over to the side of the road, got out, walked around, and opened up the door on the other side of the car. Said, devil, I've heard enough out of you. I'm more than victor victorious in Christ. God's going to use me. Get out of my car and leave me alone. He threw him out. Amen. He got back in his car and he drove on and went to the meeting. Multitudes of people got saved at the meeting and everything else. Uh, don't Listen, don't allow the devil to beat you down. He has been rendered powerless. And so live in the, the reality of the severance of Satan. So the severe, severity of judgment, the severance of Satan, and then the last thought is verse 32, the salvation of man. Jesus said, if I, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Notice there is a, offer, this is offered universally. He said, I'll draw all men unto me. Well, sometimes people say, well, you don't understand, so-and-so will never get saved. Oh, yes, he will. I remember Dr. Malone preaching a message years ago entitled, Getting a Hard Case Saved. I don't remember the points or the subpoints, but I remember the title, amen. And all I remember is when he preached that, well, I mean, he was preaching that thing with great power, and it just stirred my heart in the realm of the fact that I'm not going to live defeated thinking people can't get saved. People constantly have this spirit that they think people can't get saved. Oh, yes, they can. Stop living a life of doubt. Stop being faithless. Start praying in faith, believing that God's going to save that soul because, they, listen, if we lift up Christ, he said he would draw all men to himself. 
So it's offered universally. Uh, why? Because all men can be delivered from the penalty of sin. Jesus said, I give, give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Delivered from the penalty of sin. For many years, when I was in Bible, I say many years, it was just a few years when I was in Bible college, I struggled with the assurance of my salvation. In the second year I was in Bible college, I came across this verse, John chapter 10 and verse 28. And I remember I memorized that thing when I was a sophomore in Bible college. That thing has impacted my life. Why? Because Jesus Christ, when he saved me, he gave me eternal life. He did not give me temporary life. He gave me eternal life because he delivered me from the penalty of my sin. I deserve hell, but God in his grace saved my soul and delivered me from the bondage and the torments of hell. Not only is it offered because it gives us deliverance from the penalty of sin, but there's reconciliation. We're reconciled by the death of Christ. You can be right with God because Jesus died on the cross. If I be lifted up, he's talking about being lifted up on the cross. Because he died on the cross, then you can be reconciled unto God. I've had people say, well, you don't want me in your church. Well, I tell you, I'm a wicked person. You're just a person that we're looking for, amen? You'll fit right in with the rest of us. And the reality is that God enables us to be reconciled to God, not because I'm a good person, not because I'm a strong person. I'm reconciled unto God because Christ died on the cross for me. And people need to hear that. And then they're confirmed by the word of God. It is the word of God that reveals uh, a spirit of confirmation uh, that we can ensure, be ensured of the fact that we are saved and going to heaven. In 2 Timothy, Paul talks about Timothy's experience as a child, but in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14, he says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast heard and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast heard them. And here it is, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus, the scriptures. You know, I'm, I'm thankful that my mom took me to Sunday school all those years. I had Sunday school pins. I looked like a general of the Sunday school, amen, faithful attendance in Sunday school. I mean, I had a long list, and I'm thankful that she did it. The church where she took me, however, did not tell me how to be saved. But I'm going to tell you one thing right now. In Sunday school, I learned the stories about Daniel. I learned about David. I learned about Jesus dying. I learned about Lazarus. I learned all those things. And so when I got saved later on, I heard the gospel later on, what was the confirmation in my heart that I needed to be saved? It was a reminder of the Spirit of God of what the Word of God said. And I, listen, I'm really praying about getting our Sunday school open back up because I'm telling you right now, our children are not in church. You're watching via live stream. You need to get in church with your children. Your children need to learn the Word of God. They need to be taught the Word of God. They need to know and confirm in their heart that they can be saved. And the only thing that's going to be reassuring to them when troubles come upon them, when difficulties come, when oppositions come, is they need to know where to find it in the Word of God. Universally offered. 
Every one of us gets saved the same way. Every one of us have the same offer. And then it's enjoyed for all eternity. I'm looking forward when I get to heaven. You know, um, my mother-in-law's there. My mom and dad is there. Some of my uncles and aunts are there. I'm looking forward. My great-grandmother's there. I'm looking forward to when I get to heaven. Man, it's going to be a time in heaven. When we get in the presence of our Father, when we get in the presence of our Savior, we're able to get in the presence of our loved ones to spend all of eternity in a blessed place where there's no tears, there's no sorrow, there's no difficulties, nothing sinful, nothing wicked, but we can enjoy all of eternity in the presence of our God. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, he didn't say uh, lift up a Baptist movement. Uh, you know, the old preacher said, I'm Baptist born and Baptist bred, and when I'm gone, I'll be Baptist dead. And uh, <laughs> I'm a Baptist through and through. But I'm going to tell you one thing right now. I am not about lifting up Baptist movements. I'm about lifting up Jesus Christ. Because if we lift up Christ, he'll take care of everything else. And so we see now is the judgment, and the judgment is severe. I'm going to tell you, the fall, we've been going through a Bible prophecy in Revelation, and I tell you the severity, the thing that keeps gripping my heart every week when I work on my lessons to get ready to present it is the severity of the judgment and the wrath of God. It's severe. The severance of Satan, I'm reminded, wait a minute, wait a minute, the devil, because Jesus is the judge of all this earth, the devil has been rendered powerless, and he has no hold on me, so why would I allow him to tear me up and knock me down? The salvation of man is still important. Christ still needs to be lifted up so that he can draw them to salvation. I can't save a living soul. But I certainly can lift up Jesus Christ and I can present the scriptures and that the spirit of God can bring conviction and that person can be saved. Even in this situation with COVID-19, we need to be aggressively telling others about Jesus Christ. Need to be sharing hope that is in Christ. Why? Because now is the judgment. And uh, the judgment of Christ in reference to this world coming to the tribulation period is rapidly coming upon us. If you're not sure you're saved tonight, maybe you're watching live stream and you're not saved, you need to get a hold of us so we can take a Bible and show you how to be saved. You can get saved over the phone. I, my wife led her, our, her sister-in-law to the Lord over the phone. If I remember correctly, she led her mom to the Lord over the phone. And uh, we can lead people to the Lord over the phone. You can lead them to the Lord sitting outside because you can't go in a restaurant, amen? <laughs> but you can sit outside and talk to somebody and lead them to the Lord. Present to them who Jesus Christ is. And Jesus can make a difference in impacting their life. If he changed you and he changed me, then he can change them. It just goes back to lifting up Jesus Christ. Now is the judgment. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for allowing us to be together tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation of God through grace. Thank you, Lord, that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Thank you, Lord, that the devil has no hold on us. He is defeated enemy, and so, Lord, we need to live our lives 
in the victory that we have in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us a, uh, a heart of discernment that as we're talking with someone, Lord, you will guide the conversation to where we can hand them a track, we can uh, share with them our faith, uh, we can present to them who Jesus Christ is. And Lord, their sins can be judged at Calvary rather than be judged at the throne of God. And so, Lord, I pray that you bless us, help us to be a witness and testimony. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 